Father God, uh, it's good to gather as your people. It's good to sing songs uh, celebrating who you are and all you've done for us in Jesus. Uh, It's good to gather to pray together for the needs of our church. It's uh, good to uh, open uh, your word uh, and to hear it spoken uh, in our midst. And Lord, now as we come to a time of understanding and grappling, uh, hearing and uh, applying uh, your word into our lives this morning, uh, Lord, may you be speaking powerfully. Lord, uh, may your voice be loud and clear. Uh, that you'd even use a weak and humble servant like me, uh, that it wouldn't be about me, uh, but about you and your people. Uh, Lord, may this time be fruitful uh, for your glory and the building up of us, your people. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as uh, many of you already know, uh, Angela and I are expecting a little one. Uh, if you have seen on Facebook, you might have guessed a baby boy, uh, if you've uh, seen that, and we're expecting around the end of March. And while baby Tan is still five months or so away, uh, baby Tan is already having an impact on our lives today. Uh, amongst all the sickness that Angela's having and all the other uh, doctor's appointments and things like that, uh, we're already getting the house ready, uh, tidying up the spare room, getting rid of things that we don't need and starting to look at uh, what we do need, the furniture that we do need, uh, uh, crib, high chair and all that kind of stuff, more storage. Uh, at some point, we're going to check out items like prams, baby bags, car seats, uh, all those sorts of things that I have no idea about right now. Uh, We're creating new rhythms of life, uh, preparing ourselves not just for uh, me and Angela under the house, but uh, a household with a child in our midst and what that means in terms of our rhythms and lifestyles. And even though uh, we we won't know what it's going to be like, uh, we're preparing for that stage mentally already. Uh, We're thinking through what life's going to be like as a whole on the other side and getting ready now the best we can, even though we know that we probably won't be ready anyway. You see, all of this stuff is happening today in light of a future event when baby Tan is born. And it's not just a baby thing, is it? A future event impacting your life today. If you think about going on holidays, that's a future event. Well, you pack, you plan, If you're going overseas, you get your itinerary ready, you learn a bit about the culture and the language and the customs, you're getting ready for a future event and also uh, doing so today. Uh, You might have a big Christmas party that you're planning at the end of the year, that's a future event, Uh, but right now you're doing things in light of that, like you plan the guest list, you book the food and you think about the venue of the party, decorations, all that kind of stuff. A future event impacting your life today. Well, as we continue our series in 1 Peter, you could say that the whole letter is about a future event impacting your life today. Peter really emphasises it in the first two chapters. He presents this future hope of new life forever in Jesus. In verse 3, chapter 1, a living hope of a glorious future of new life forever in Christ. And that 
glorious future hope, it impacts our present lives. It impacts how we live today in light of this future. <clears throat> and this is what we get, uh, <clears throat> and this is where we get Peter's key term uh, for understanding the whole letter. We saw it two weeks ago, and Tim looked at it last week again, this term, elect exiles. We are people chosen by God for this glorious future, which means that currently we're exiles, travelers in a foreign land and waiting for our future heavenly home. We saw that two weeks ago, chapter one, to chapter 1, verse 1 to 12, it unpacked how good it is to be God's elect exiles. Chapter 1, verse 13, until the end of today's passage, applies what an elect exile looks like in a believer's life today. And from next week's passage onwards, uh, Peter looks at what an elect exile looks like in a believer's relationships with others. Uh, if we just remind ourselves from last week, we saw Peter's application. He says, you're God's elect exile, so be holy and conduct yourselves with fear. And the passage keeps going because the application continues to this week's passage too, with three present impacts of future hope for us today because we are God's elect exiles. Uh, today's passage is intensely practical. Uh, Peter's hard hitting, he lays it out. And as we see these outworkings of future hope, this morning we're going to be presented with three questions, three areas of life that this future event impacts us today. And as we consider these three questions, if it's something as we go through this passage that you realize that you're struggling with, take comfort this morning because the answer isn't to grit your teeth and to try harder. The answer is to gaze towards that glorious future hope that you have in Jesus. This hope that was won on the cross of Jesus as we've sung this morning, as he took our sin, died in our place, making us pure, clean, righteous, and holy before God. And as Jesus rose again into new life, signaling victory over death and ushering in new life for us who trust in Jesus. Maybe for some of you this morning, uh, you gaze forward, and for you, there might not be that future hope. And today's points, as we keep going, might sound good, but you kind of go, they're really not for you yet. Well, if that's you, uh, this morning, let me encourage you to consider the hope of the new life that Jesus offers for you, and to consider trusting in the saving work of Jesus today to be part of that glorious future hope that we have of new life in Jesus. Well, as we dive into today's passage, we begin in chapter 1, verse 22. If you have your Bibles open, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Last week, Peter threw down the gauntlet for holiness. Be 
holy for God is holy. And in today's passage, Peter continues this by saying that a life of holiness, a life obeying the truth of the gospel, this results in loving one another earnestly. I've said it before, uh, there's uh, this dichotomy uh, between a truth-upholding believer and a loving actions believer, and that dichotomy, I think, is false, because a holy life, a truth-upholding life, an obedient life, is someone who actually loves one another. And there's something very wrong if there's gospel truths without love, or if there's holiness without love. And if there's love without gospel truth or there's love without holiness, there's something wrong because all of these go hand in hand. Now, as we look at this, this love for one another, it's not sometimes, it's not grudgingly. The describing word here is earnestly, deeply, urgently, intensely, And here I think Peter is talking about loving, in particular, other believers, uh, their fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. Because if you think about it, when hostility arises, which is Peter's context, it's easy for people to take a step back, to hide, to not be seen, to become insular, and to think only about yourself and not others. But Peter here challenges them to do the opposite. Don't forsake them. He's saying, stand out in your love for your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. Love them and love them even more, deeply, intensely, earnestly. And this imperative to love, it's a result yet again of the future hope that we have in Jesus. Verse 23, if you continue, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory is like flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You see, we love not just because it's a good and nice thing, and it is a good and nice thing, not even just because God is love, which is also a very helpful truth, but precisely because God's ultimate show of love in the saving work of Jesus, it results in us being born again. And the seed, the type of life we're born into is imperishable and eternal, lasting forever. And this work of new birth that God has worked in us through Jesus is not here and gone tomorrow, like fleshly things, like the hostility coming from the world around them, they're like grass. This new birth and the word of the Lord that proclaimed this, it's permanent and eternal and remains forever. So Peter's implying here, don't shrink back. Don't be put off by fleshly things that will soon disappear. Invest in the eternal Live in light of the eternal. Let your glorious future impact your life today. Love one another deeply.
So the first present impact of our future hope of eternal life in Jesus is that we are to love one another today, to love deeply and earnestly, to cleave to, to cling to, to uphold one another instead of scattering and hiding when hostility and persecution arises. So our first question for today is how's your love for one another today? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you loving them earnestly, deeply? Or maybe has your love been a bit lackadaisical, lukewarm, intermittent, sometimes and not others? or even cold? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Tim Keller, in his series, Gospel in Life, he gives nine suggestions on how we can love one another. Have a listen to them and consider how you can love one another earnestly. He says, affirm one another's strengths, abilities, and gifts. Affirm one another's equal importance in Christ. Affirm one another through visible affection. Share one another's space, goods, and time. Share one another's needs and problems. Share one another's beliefs, thinking, and spirituality. Serve one another through accountability. Serve one another through forgiveness and reconciliation. And serve one another's interests rather than your own. You see, love isn't just a feeling and emotion. It's, it's a feeling and emotion from the heart that wells up and overflows into how we choose to live for Jesus and how we relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think Peter, in this command, he's thinking about Jesus' most famous teaching, which he heard personally from John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, in light of our glorious future one in Jesus, God calls us to love one another earnestly. Well, as we keep going, Peter's call to love moves actually into his next teaching. Because if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So put away all malice. All deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It makes sense, doesn't it? To love one another means to put away, to lay aside, to get rid of all those things that stop us from loving one another. You see, all of these things here destroy love. They're all sins that rip apart relationships in the church. If you think about malice, Angry, judgmental, malicious thoughts, feelings, and actions. Obviously, malice is a love blocker. 
Deceit. It means lying, dishonesty, from day-to-day interactions, even to deception in the way of promoting false teaching in the church and causing other people to sin and stumble. Hypocrisy, being insincere and putting on this external face or show of love without anything behind it. Envy, the fruit of dissatisfaction with God to chase after other things. And slander, using words as a way of character assassination. And this is often done through gossip and from a place of self-centeredness. You see, all of these things are love blockers. So as we're called to positively love one another, we're also called to negatively get rid of all the vices that destroy love. And as Peter goes on, uh, we see that this action of getting rid of love blockers is actually a part of a bigger command that Peter's going to get to, a call to keep growing up a call to maturity. Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. What happens if a baby doesn't drink milk? Well, they don't grow. They're not healthy and strong uh, the malnourish is not an experiment that I want to do on my baby. Uh, what happens if a believer doesn't drink pure spiritual milk? Well, they don't grow spiritually. They're not healthy or strong spiritually. They're malnourished spiritually. And note that this verse is not talking about new believers. He's actually talking about all believers. We're all like newborn infants, whether new or long-time followers of Jesus, and we're all to long for pure spiritual milk just as a baby does, referring to the undiluted Word of God. You see, Peter's second challenge here is to long for spiritual growth. You see, believers have tasted that Jesus is good, and the natural response to this is to keep going in it, to keep growing in that same good news of life. And this is the second present impact of our future hope of eternal life in Jesus, that today, in our present life, we are to long for growth. And this growth, it's closely connected with loving one another earnestly. So our second question from this passage this morning is how's your growing up in your salvation? How's your craving? How's your longing for pure spiritual milk? How's your keenness to grow in the gospel? And how's your appetite to grow in God's word. I think almost all of you know that I'm a foodie, and there's a big difference in how I approach my normal breakfast, rolled oats and fruit, compared to a special breakfast 
like bacon and eggs, or an eggs benny, or a fried chicken waffle. Now ignore the nutritional content for a moment. Uh, we're more interested in the manner of consumption. Rolled oats, I don't really like it, but I know it's good for me. I know it's way cheaper than bacon and eggs, so I'll eat it every day. But put bacon and eggs in front of me, it's not rolled oats. I'm excited, I long for it. I consume it with gusto and I want more and more and more and more until I'm full and even too full. Maybe for you it's not bacon and eggs, maybe it's ice cream, chocolate, KFC, coffee, that's not blend 43, Ken might throw up, or the fried noodles from last night. You see, that's the manner we're supposed to come towards gospel growth, to growing in God's word. We're to long for it, crave it, be so keen and excited about it, to take any opportunity for it to happen, to want more. So how's your gospel growth today? How's your longing to grow up in your salvation today? I think among those in our church community, I think there's one danger that I see the most in this question and challenge. And it's the danger of arrival. You see, arrival says, I am grown up. I don't need to grow more. I've been a believer for so many years. What more is there to learn? I've been trained in evangelism, discipleship. I've been here, done that. I'm sorted out in my knowledge of God's word. The danger of arrival. But Peter here in God's word, he tells all of us to grow up in our salvation, to long, to crave for pure spiritual milk. It's a lifelong posture, and it's a day-by-day sanctification until that day when we are actually perfect and mature and holy in glory. You see, no one is beyond this, so we're all called to grow and to long and to crave spiritual growth. And here at Hertford Street, we try to offer avenues for growth. You've heard a few of them this morning in the announcements. Uh, Would it be our week-to-week Bible talks, our sermons like now in the service, our midweek growth groups, our Sunday sessions, our free devotional book that's over there, our church library in the hall, our book giveaways, uh, we plug events. All of these things are offered, and we offer them to help meet those longings and cravings and appetites for spiritual growth. So how's your gospel growth today? How's your longing, how's your craving to grow up in your salvation? Well, as we keep going, we come to the final part of today's passage. Uh, Peter, as we get to uh, verse 4 to 10 in chapter 2, he uses building words, stones, and temples, and he uses this to illustrate another way this future hope of life in Jesus impacts believers today. 
It's a part that's fairly rich in Old Testament passages. Uh, We won't be able to dive too deeply into today. And it includes the most well-known verse of Peter's letter, uh, one of my favourite verses in the Bible, and one of the most powerful pictures, I think, of the church as the people of God that we find in the New Testament. And what we're going to focus on here is that God is presently, currently making us into a living temple. Have a look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus here is a living stone. He's chosen by God, rejected by men. And as Peter's readers and all believers trust in and are united to Jesus, we're like small living stones. And we're joined to this big living stone that is Jesus. And all of this, we're being built together as a spiritual house, a temple, a place where God dwells in us. And this is what the next three Old Testament references build on. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture uh, from Isaiah 28, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, from Isaiah 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And from Isaiah 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. You see, if God is a builder, uh, there's this building project happening since Jesus rose from the grave. And this building project, it's happening And it'll be completed on that future day that Jesus comes again in glory. And in this building, Jesus, he's the main and central foundation stone, the cornerstone of this building. He's been rejected by man, chosen by God. And believers, us, Peter's readers, they're like bricks and stones joined in this temple building project. Rejected by men, as Peter's readers were feeling at the time, but also chosen by God, not put to shame by God, honoured by God, and being built into God's building project, his living temple. It might not feel like it. Peter's readers weren't feeling that. But God was working and he's still working today. He's joining us to Christ. He's building believers together into this brilliant living community knit together by spirit. And today we might feel small, but we're part of something huge, imposing, unshakable, this building, this living temple in Jesus. You see, God's people, the church, this big building project that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. 
and knowing God's present work, his active building work today, it gives us confidence as we live in this challenging world for Peter's first readers and for us today. But there's another part to this living temple image that Peter wants to communicate here. You see, if God is building us into a living temple, if that's our present reality as God's people, what does a living temple do? What do temples do? What do people who are part of the temple do? Well, verse 5 gives us a clue. Uh, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, as small living stones of God's living temple, we're like the walls of the building, but we're not just lifeless walls. Peter says we're a holy priesthood. We have a role. We are God's priests, his servants, doing his work right now in our time of exile, waiting for our glorious future to come to pass. And that's where verse 9 goes to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, before Peter outlines the role of believers in this living temple, he reminds them and us of how good it is to be God's elect exiles. And it's so good because they're called God's own people. If you remember Exodus 19, God calls Israel all of these descriptions, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. And now, God's people are those who trust in Jesus, the living stone, the church. The church is the fulfillment of all the promises God made to and about Israel. But verse 9 doesn't end, it continues. And it gives us our role as God's living temple. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, this is the present work of God's living temple. The living temple founded in Jesus, the living stone, the living temple that all believers, Peter's readers, us today, that we are all part of. And it's to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. In other words, to declare how good, how excellent Jesus is, and how excellent that good news of new life that he offers us is. The excellent work of Jesus calling people from darkness to light, from death to life, from hopelessness to hope, from without mercy to receiving mercy, from nothingness to being part of God's people. You see, that's our role. That's my role and your role as living, as God's living temple.
to proclaim Christ, to make disciples of Jesus. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And if you're visiting here this morning, that's really the crux of what we want you to hear today, the excellencies of Jesus, who calls people from darkness to light, from death to life, who offers mercy to hopeless sinners who've rejected God, who've worked his great gift of life and salvation by dying on the cross, taking away your sin, so that as you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can also enjoy this mercy, light, and life that Jesus offers to you. Well, now as we come to reflect on our third present impact of our future hope of eternal life in Jesus for us today, that we are a living temple. And God gives this living temple a role for us to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. So our final question from God's word today is, how's your proclaiming of the excellencies of Jesus? How are you going in proclaiming Jesus, in declaring the good news, the excellent news of life in Jesus? Many of you know our mission statement is proclaiming Christ, making disciples. Our vision focus for this year has been a church on mission. Uh, we had a leadership meeting on Thursday night, and uh, we asked one another this question in our leadership meeting. How are we going in this? How are we going in being a church on mission, in proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus as a church? Well, maybe it's a good time for you to ask this question for yourself. How's your proclaiming? of the excellencies of Jesus. Maybe think through it through these questions. When's the last time you've prayed for someone to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? When's the last time you prayed for God to grow your evangelistic and mission fervor? When's the last time you actively sought training or you actively sought refreshment in your training in sharing the gospel? When's the last time your heart broke because someone you know doesn't follow Jesus? When's the last time you felt the excellencies of the gospel message overflow from your mind to your heart, to want to tell someone about how good Jesus is. When's the last time you not just talked about church or you said you pray for someone, but you clearly shared the good news of life in Jesus to someone, whether it was 10 seconds or 10 minutes? Use these questions to reflect on our role as God's living temple and how you're proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus is going.
Well, as we finish off this morning, uh, First Peter continues in showing how this future hope of life in Jesus impacts our present lives today as we live today as God's elect exiles waiting for our heavenly home. Peter outlines three topics which cause us to reflect on three questions. How's your love for one another? How's your growing up in your salvation? And how's your proclaiming of the excellencies of Jesus? And as we work these things out, if you need to repent, if you need to recalibrate and come before God, Peter, he doesn't call us merely to try harder, to do more. Peter calls us to gaze at the excellencies of Jesus, to look upward, to look ahead, to be sure and certain of this future hope of salvation and life forever, and to live today in light of the risen Lord Jesus. Let me pray for this. Let's pray together. Father God, you've given us a future hope of new life forever with Jesus. Help this to shape and influence how we live for you today. To love deeply, to long to grow, and to proclaim the excellent gospel of Jesus. Father, forgive us for the times we ignore this future hope and we live for ourselves and the ways of the world today. Holy Spirit, help us, empower us, equip us to be your elect exiles as we wait for glory in eternity with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.